Not, not those, but there are going around. around. The notes for this session are going around. And just to say that if you missed the session last week, there are some extra notes up here. And also there are some notes to the session that Hannah and I did earlier, well, in June, I think it was, last month, on uh, forgiveness and reconciliation. So if you would like those notes, they're also here. We're in the process of doing a series. And the series is under the overall theme, uh, maturing toward wholeness in the inner life. And we've scheduled uh, six sessions uh, this summer, of which this is the second. But the whole series, the whole series um, is, is longer than that. So I don't know what the Lord has in mind for that, but um, just know that, thanks, Don, just know that um, that's the context in which we meet. Hannah and I both independently this week um, had the idea that I should answer the question, is this material that we're teaching Anglican? Nobody has asked me that. <laughs> so I don't know why we both had this idea, but let me just start off by saying the things that we're teaching are absolutely at the center of our Anglican tradition. Why do I say that? They're rooted in Christ. Our Anglican tradition is rooted in Christ and his uniqueness. They're rooted in the apostles, the teaching of the apostles. They're rooted in the teaching of the early church fathers. And they are part of our beautiful Anglican pastoral tradition of the care of souls. So to talk about wholeness in the inner life is to talk about the care of our souls. It's to talk about the healing of our souls. We can't have wellness in the inner life without knowing healing in the inner life. And so um, it's a joy to stand before all you Anglicans as an Anglican and teach Anglican theology. Now, uh, you'll also notice um, that we kind of have taken as a theme verse the saying of Jesus from Luke 6, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. So wholeness in the inner life is the same thing as Christ-likeness in the inner life. And we said last week that we miss Jesus and we miss Jesus in a number of ways. One way is we allocate Jesus to only the religious sphere of life. The fact is, Jesus came to teach about all of life. So he wasn't just teaching religious teaching. He was teaching how life functions. He was teaching how marriage functions. Well, you say, how did he know how marriage functions? He wasn't married. Well, the way he knew how marriage functions is he knew how life functions. And the most important thing you need to know in marriage is how does life function? He, he came to teach how politics function. Well, what did he know about politics? Well, he knew about life. So, wholeness in the inner life is Christ-likeness in the inner life. And this morning, in our second session, we come to the subject, heart, soul, mind, strength, neighbor. In Mark 12... 29 to 31. Jesus refers to five components of a human person. See also Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. 
Dallas Willard's book on renovation of the heart is the most helpful thing I've ever read on this. And if you read Jesus in a different way, for example, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. What is that? Are those just synonyms of the same thing? Or were those components of the human person? And then he went on to say, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So the idea there is, we as human beings, created in the image of God, are social. God is social. God is a trinity. God is three persons who live together without conflict. So God is social. We are social. So... If you read them that they're just synonyms, that's okay. We don't want to, you know, that, that's okay. But I want to suggest to you that it is incredibly helpful for us to see these different components of the human person to which Jesus referred and to which the Bible refers throughout as different components of the person. And whether or not you get it from this passage I think you will agree that we have thoughts and that we have emotions and that we have a will and that we have a body. You may be less certain about the soul, although it's hard to read the scripture and not come to the conclusion that the scripture is teaching us that the human being has a soul. And I'm sure we all would agree that we are social beings. So, I, I, and, and if, you, if you want to dwell into that more thoroughly, I could not recommend more strongly the book by Dallas Willard, The Renovation of the Heart. Here is a very godly man that spent his whole life teaching philosophy. And he's thought about these things a lot. Had a lot good to say. So what we want to do now is to begin to move through these different components of the human being to see if we can't understand a little bit more about them, and to see if that information will not really be helpful um, in our own pursuit of Christ-likeness in the inner life. I just feel like I want to pray again. Lord Jesus, we ask that you will make yourself known to us by your Spirit, Lord, you are alive. You live in the midst of your people. We are your sheep, the sheep of your pasture. You care for us, Lord. And we come to you with our brokenness. We want to freely acknowledge, Lord, that we are broken people. And our confidence is not in ourselves or in one another. Our confidence is in you. Feed us. Teach us. Heal us. Mature us. That we might know your fullness. Holy Spirit, fill us with insight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's talk about the heart. What did Jesus mean when he talked about the heart? Well, we're suggesting that the heart is the same as our will or intention. Of all the components of my person, I have most direct control over my will. I am able to choose what I intend. Note, Will or intention is not the same as willpower. Willpower is much overrated. Now, we've said this before. Some things are worth repeating. We can get the idea that all I need, to, all I need is to know what is the right thing to do, and then I just summon the willpower and I do it. That's a misunderstanding of the will and it's a misunderstanding of the person, and it's a misunderstanding of the role the will plays. For example, the emotions can override the will. The body, at times, can override the will. 
Romans 7. The good that I would, I don't do. The evil that I don't want to do, I do. So willpower is not where our confidence is. I like the word intention. So let me put it this way. I cannot choose in every case what I'm going to do. But I can choose what I intend. You see the difference? I can choose I'm going to do this, but in the end I'm unable to do it. But my intention, what I intend to do. So when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What was he teaching? Those who intend in their hearts to know God, to know, love God, to pursue God. That intention is a decision, a choice of the will. That opens the door for God to do his beautiful work in us. Now this also gives us insight into what sin is. Sin has to do with the intention. So I can be reading the Bible. I can be in my study Reading the Bible, what have I intended to do? Be with God. And all of a sudden, an evil thought comes in. Evil. I didn't intend that thought. I didn't look, at that, look for that thought. That thought just came from the pit. Now, what am I going to intend to do with that thought? And here's where, we're going to get to this in a minute, our imaginative mind comes in. One of the most powerful prayers for the imaginative mind or the imagination is, Holy Spirit, fill my imagination. Holy Spirit, fill my imagination. When we are faced with temptation, Holy Spirit, fill my imagination. Because temptation comes in the imaginative thoughts. So intention, will, heart. My choices, the choices that I make, are what is truly me. The questions I make, the, I'm sorry, the decisions I make day by day are forming the person I am becoming forever. Now that is a really crucial concept. It's about the person I am becoming. Life with Christ is about the person I am becoming. Because behavior is an expression of the inner life. So to change behavior, we transform the inner life. We don't transform the inner life. The Holy Spirit transforms the inner life. But we have to choose to let him do that. My choices are what is truly me. The decisions I make day after day are forming the person I am becoming forever. I will take with me into life after death the person I have become on earth. Think about that. My well-being, this is really important, cannot depend on, sit, on decisions other people make. We get tripped up with this. My life would be okay if this person would make such and such a decision, but since that person is not making that decision, I am suffering. So I am suffering because of someone else's decision. That will not bring wholeness. That will not bring healing. My well-being cannot depend on decisions other people make. I am not responsible for their decisions. And I have no control over them. My well-being is a function of decisions I make. Including the decisions I make in response to the decisions that other people make. In other words, if someone else makes a decision to harm me, I must decide how I'm going to respond. I am not determined by what other people do to me. I am determined by how I respond to what other people do to me. How do I know how to respond to how other people do to me? I learn it from Jesus. It begins with not retaliating. If your neighbor strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Don't retaliate. Forgiving. If I believe I am determined by others' choices, 
I will see myself as their victim. If I am a Christian, I am not a victim. Just say that to yourself silently in your heart. If I am a Christian, I am not a victim. Why am I not a victim? I have a Heavenly Father who is all wise, all loving, all good, and all powerful. And my Heavenly Father shields me from much that is harmful to me. He shields me. Only God knows all the things He shields us from. He allows some things that I would not choose to reach me. So God allows some things to come into our lives that we wouldn't choose. And we tend to say, God, why did you do that? God, why me? Well, his reasons for doing this, to offer me the opportunities to mature toward Christ-likeness. He did this with Jesus. Though he were a son, the letter to the Hebrews says, yet learned he obedience by the things that he suffered. So God the Father looked down on God the Son and allowed him to be mocked and criticized. You know, you read through the Gospels and all of a sudden you're reading the chief priests and the scribes sought an occasion to kill him. They wanted to kill him. How could they have wanted to kill him? God the Father allowed that. And through that, God the Son, who was not only fully divine, but also fully human, grew in maturity. We're not a victim. We have a Heavenly Father. We have a Heavenly Father. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Holy Spirit will not violate my will. He waits and responds to my choices. So, the Holy Spirit is waiting for us. He's waiting. He's not impatient. He's not condemning us. He's not telling us how slow we are or how dense we are. I am so thankful that the Holy Spirit doesn't tell me how dense I am. I don't know why it has taken me so long. I don't know. But it has taken a long time. And the process, it feels like sometimes it's just beginning. He's not condemning me. He's waiting for me. George, let me know when you're ready. My most important choice. Now this is the most important choice you and I will make. The most important choice is not where we're going to university or who we're going to marry or what job we're going to do or where we're going to put our investments. None of those are the most important choices. The most important choice is to rely continually upon God. That's the most important choice. This allows him to continue his work of inner healing and transformation. I was saying to uh, Don and Jeannie, I have a sense that God's will for Christ Church Anglican is to be a healing community. Think about that and pray about that and see what you're hearing. Okay, we go now from the heart to the mind. And Dallas Willard, in my opinion, does a beautiful example, a beautiful job in suggesting to us that the mind, the biblical mind, is made up of two parts, the thoughts and the emotions. So the thoughts and the emotions are not the same thing, but they're very closely connected. So... In our talk this morning, we are just assuming that the mind is made up of thoughts and the mind is made up of emotions. Whether that's the biblical mind or not, is, you know, if you don't see it that way, that's fine. But again, I'm sure you'll agree, we have thoughts and we have emotions. What can we say about thoughts? 
My will probably has most direct control of my thoughts. I learned from Jesus how to make choices that locate my thoughts on God. So if I have the most control over what I intend, probably what my intention has the most control over is my thoughts. Where am I going to put my thoughts? And the place where I want to put my thoughts for wholeness in the inner life is on God. I want to think about God. I want my thoughts to be located on God. Now, there's a problem with that because my thoughts naturally wander. Have you ever tried to keep your thoughts on God for, you know, for me, five minutes is good. Because my thoughts begin to wander. So keeping our thoughts on God boils down to learning how to bring our thoughts back. Bring our thoughts back to God. Bring our thoughts back to God. Bring our thoughts back to God. And the more we learn to bring our thoughts back to God, the more we develop the habit of just setting our thoughts on God, the more we think about God. Now somebody's going to say, well, gee, isn't that boring? I mean, it's okay to think about God, you know, some. But what about all the other things I want to think about? We were created to be in the presence of God the same way a fish was created to be in the water. And if you ask a fish who's been in the water all of his life, is it boring in there? Wouldn't you like to come out a little bit? (laughs) They're created for the water. A bird is created to fly. We're created to be in the presence of our Father. That's what we're created to be. I have two kinds of thoughts. Analytical and imaginative. We live in an environment of assault on and misuse of the imaginative. Now, again, there's so much, you know, we've got to end by 11.30, so there's so much that we can say in all of this. Our analytical thoughts are actually very helpful. I would recommend analytical thinking to some of you right-brain people. Analytical thinking is helpful. I was in this uh, meeting with Hannah one time. It was uh, calligraphers. And all of a sudden I realized, I'm in this meeting with 300 calligraphers. And I wanted to stand up. I had this strong desire to stand up and say, I am a left-brain person. (laughs) Is there any other left-brain person in this group? (laughs) Because, so analytical thoughts are to be recommended. They're very helpful. But, We live in a context that tends to exalt analytical thinking and devalue the imaginative. And the liturgy, Jesus teaches practices for training our thoughts. The liturgy is an awesome context for training our thoughts. Because a key part of the imaginative mind is symbols. Now a symbol, I won't get too deep into this, but a symbol is a combination of form and meaning. Language is a symbol, symbolic system. Symbols are a powerful way to communicate. Ronald Reagan, known as the great communicator, what what was the secret of his power to communicate? The understanding of symbols, the understanding of what is symbolic and the power that symbols have. The liturgy is a symbolic system. It brings to us the Judeo-Christian symbolic system. And it impregnates into our imagination beautiful, imaginative truth. Where I choose to place my thoughts is crucial in the reforming of our emotions. So now we're moving to emotions. How do I control my emotions? Not nearly as easy to control my emotions as my thoughts. But I begin to control my emotions by where I decide to put my thoughts. So emotions. We live in a society that views emotions as self-validating. 
In other words, in our context, if you feel it, it's valid. Now that is profoundly damaging. If you feel it, it's valid. You feel that? We affirm that you feel that. You should feel that. You should do whatever that feeling is telling you to do. This is incredibly damaging. Rather than this leading to freedom, it results in pervasive damage and bondage. Sin wounds our emotions. When we are in our pain, we do and say things that dishonor others, God, and ourselves. This results in further wounding. Wounded people wound people. So think for a moment about your emotions being in two categories. One category is the category that God created, the emotions God created us to have. Beautiful emotions. God is emotional. Have you ever heard men say, men are not emotional? That's just, that's just out of touch. That's out of touch. Men are just as emotional as anybody else, just as emotional as women. You may have some different emotions, but God is emotional. If we're created in the image of God and we don't feel any emotion, it means that we're blocked out on the emotions. That's not a good thing to be blocked out on the emotions. God gave us emotions, wonderful emotions, glorious emotions. God has emotions. We're created to have emotions. Healthy emotions. But in the emotions where there is damage, those emotions have energy. And when the button is pushed, we react out of those wounded emotions. And we say things and do things that dishonor other people, that dishonor God, and that dishonor ourselves, energized out of those wounded emotions. And that further damages us. The damage goes further. So with our emotions, the danger area is the wounding. Now, here is where Intimacy, we have to know this to develop intimacy, and let me tell you why. We meet somebody, and we think, wow, what a neat person that person is. Man, they are just real, they're my kind of person. I really like them. And so, all of a sudden, we're developing a relationship with this person, this really wonderful person. We haven't hit their pain yet, see. We haven't hit their pain. We have only hit the healthy part. As we grow in intimacy, what happens? Sooner or later, we hit the pain. And all of a sudden we think, it's almost as though I have two people here. This happens in the family. This happens in marriage. This happens in church. If you're on a ship with 140 people for two years, let me tell you something. This happens. <laughs> there are no secrets. All the raw stuff comes up. So, wounded emotions. And out of our wounded emotions, we malfunction. Jesus does not lead us to suppress destructive emotions. So what do I do with my destructive emotions? Do I push them down? Well, I know sometimes that that would be better than, <laughs> would be better than you know, letting them all hang out. But that's not a long-term solution, suppressing our destructive emotions. Jesus does not lead us to suppress destructive emotions. He teaches us how they can be replaced. Jesus changes our emotions. 
The Holy Spirit changes our emotions. The Holy Spirit heals those areas of wounding and replaces those wounded emotions with these glorious emotions that God had in mind for us when he created us. So let me say this to us all. You and I will work. We will function. I went through a period in my life, I thought, I just don't, I'm not, I, I don't function. I don't work. I went through a period where I thought I was going to have to end up in an institution. I went through a period in my life when I thought, you know, I preached about love, seems like a zillion times, and yet I no longer am able to love. I don't work. I don't work. It doesn't work for me. I can assure you, you work. I work. We were created by the most magnificent creator you could ever conceive of and then some. And you work. But the problem is, we're broken. Jesus came to fix us. Jesus came to heal us. Jesus came to restore us. Jesus came to transform us. And he can do that. He has the power to do that. He's the creator. He's the redeemer. He's the resurrected one. He's here among us. And he can change us and transform us. Including the wounded emotions. He doesn't lead us to suppress our destructive emotions. He teaches us how they can be replaced with the glorious emotions God intended for us when he created us. The kind of emotions he has. Our emotions are healed and reformed as we abide in God's presence. Now that's going to be the subject next week. Next week's subject is how do we learn to live in the presence of God? Because it's in the presence of God that we are healed. In the presence of God. It's, it's actually profoundly simple. We were created by God to be like Him. We were created by God to live in His presence. But we went away. I went away from my Father. Why did I do that? I was looking for a better life. I thought, I have a better life in this life with my Father. Well, I sustained the consequences of that decision. My father made a way for me to come back. And so, Jesus is the way to come back, and he teaches me how to live in the presence of God. And when I'm in the presence of my father, I'm healed. The healing process goes forward in the presence of God. To begin with, I hear him say, George, I love you. I am the disciple that Jesus loves. He loves me. You say, well, George, why would he love you? <laughs> well, the same reason he would love you. Because that's who he is. He is a God who loves us. So, there it is. We don't have to do anything. But in his presence, we're healed. And that's next week. Let's talk about the body. Our strength. Love the Lord your God with all your strength, our body. My body does not belong to me. What do you think of that? I did not create it. I have only partial control of it. I could not care for it when I was born. I progressively lose control over it as I age. <laughs> have you... I had that experience yet. <laughs> Some of you have not. Some of you think that you'll live forever, especially you young men. I know what that's like. We young men, huh, nothing. Take us down. till we get mid-30s and come back from a skiing <laughs> vacation and all of a sudden the back is thrown at me when we get into that. My body does not belong to me. I, I, I lose control over it as I age. My body is not me. My body is not me. I saw an article a week or two weeks ago, 
A young man lost three limbs in Afghanistan. One arm and two legs. Is he less of a person because he lost his limbs? No. My body is not me. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am a steward. I am responsible to take care of it. God has given me a body and you a body and said take care of it while you're on earth. Take care of it. Sin has established harmful habits, learned behavior that have been stored in the body. Romans 7. Romans 6. The sin that's in my members. Through practices like fasting, I learn from Jesus. I experience that I'm not obligated to serve these learned behavior. One of the most important ways I can care for my body is to give it the rest it needs. We are in danger of violating the principle of Sabbath. We want to talk about that in one of the sessions to come. A body in stress hinders me in connecting with God. So what do you think of that? It is a holy thing to take care of our body. It is a holy thing to give our body the rest that it needs. You know, Hannah and I this week had the people come in and service the air conditioning units. And I heard myself saying to the guy, look, we demand a lot from that air conditioning, and I want to give it what it needs to, to, to give that coolness. You tell me what that thing needs, and I want to give it to it. Same is true with your body. Your body needs you and me to give it what it needs. And one thing it needs is rest. Proper amount of rest. The body. Our society has exalted the body along with the emotions. If our body is in need, we will go to almost any extreme to give it what it needs. So what do we say? Well, I'm really busy. My schedule is really full. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. I don't have the other time for that. You know, being in the presence of God, well, that's good. I'm sure it's really good. You know, I'm busy. Then a doctor tells you that you have cancer. All of a sudden, the whole schedule is changed. Or you're training for a marathon, or you're training for a triathlon, or whatever it might be, and all of a sudden the body is given this central place in our schedule, in our energy. So, if our body is in need, we'll go to almost any extreme to give it what it needs. But what about the needs of our soul? What about the needs of our soul? So now we come to the soul. Now, some of these things from Dallas Willard, you know, I, I, can't, I, I can't even approach words that are this good. So I just had some quotations here from Dallas Willard about the soul. What is running your life at any given moment is your soul. What do you think of that? Not external circumstances, or your thoughts, or your intentions, or even your feelings, but your soul. Now, if that's true, there's a lot of value in understanding your soul. And there's a lot of value in the soul being formed in the likeness of Jesus. Okay, another quotation from Willard. The soul correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the other dimensions of the person. It responds to events in the overall governance of life. Think of the soul in this way. Well, let's read the next one. The soul is deep. 
It is foundational. It is the life center of the person. It lies almost totally beyond conscious awareness. So think of the soul in this way. The soul is deep. The soul is foundational. And the soul takes impulses from the thoughts, impulses from the emotions, impulses from the intention, impulses from the body, and integrates them. And the soul has a condition. And the soul is what informs the life. The soul, okay, this next one's really helpful. In the person with the well-kept heart, in other words, a person who is learning to set his or her intentionality on God, to choose God, to choose God's way, to choose to be in the presence of God, to choose to learn how to obey Christ, that's a person with a well-kept heart. In the person with the well-kept heart, the soul will be properly related to God and to reality. Boy, what is the value of having a soul that is properly related to reality? It will be able to respond to what we encounter in life in ways that are wholesome and good. So now we get into what we shared last week. This dear sister in the Lord who's married to the retired professor of engineering in the University of Texas. Godly children, godly grandchildren. She says, I just want to be a competent human being. What is a competent human being? A competent human being is someone who is able to respond to what we encounter in life in ways that are wholesome and good. That's, that's competency as a human being. I can respond. Not that it doesn't hurt. Not that it's not hard. Not that it's not grieving. But I have the capacity, the resources within me to respond. Where do those resources lie? They lie in my soul. They lie in the person I have become in Christ. The soul worships. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, of course, we worship with our thoughts, and we worship with our emotions, and we worship with our bodies. But can you sense that the core of worship comes from the soul? Bless the Lord, O my soul. The soul obeys. You want to look at something? Look at Psalm 119, 129. The soul obeys. I have... My, my soul loves your commandments, therefore I keep them. The soul is cast down. The soul can be healed. The soul can be converted and transformed. My soul is the part of me that longs for God. As the deer pants, for water brooks. So pants my soul for thee, O God. That's your soul. Panting, hungering for God. When my soul is centered in God, it is at rest. It's at rest. My whole person is in order and at peace. When my soul is not centered in God, it is fragmented. My whole person is disordered and chaotic. Almost every day, we see people in the news. Politicians, business leaders, religious leaders, entertainers, athletes, who are self-destructing because of a disordered soul. Now, this is being played out for us in the public arena. What is happening? The lostness all around us. 
the lostness in thinking, the lostness in emotions. For example, the whole idea that any emotion is self-validating. Oh, you feel it? Well, go do it. The lostness all around us, people are buying into it. People see it as reality. And they live according to it. That begins to disorient the soul. The soul is more and more withdrawn from God, which means it's withdrawn from reality. So we've got to understand these three two things are the same thing. God and reality are the same thing. That's why when Jesus came to teach, he wasn't teaching just about religion. He was talking about reality. That includes the whole of life. So this is being played out in the public arena. All the lostness around us, people buying into that, making it a part of their life. The soul is disordered. And people do things that are just... And lives are being destroyed. And families are being destroyed. And marriages are being destroyed. And children are being destroyed. And I just, you know, I could sit here and list case after case after case. I don't want to be unkind to anybody. But this is taking place in the public arena in the headlines of the newspaper. Just think about that this coming week and see how many lives crash and burn publicly because of a disordered soul. God doesn't want our soul to be that way. Our soul was created for God. Our soul was created for reality. Our soul was created to be formed in the likeness of Christ. Our soul has been impacted by our sin and the sin all around us. And Jesus has come to say, look, I've come to restore the soul. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Now we get in closing to our neighbor, human relationships. This component of our person merits its own series of teachings on subjects such as anger. Contempt. I'll give you a freebie. <laughs> when you listen to public discourse, listen for contempt. What is contempt? Contempt is I devalue the person. Jesus used the saying, you fool. Remember Jesus saying, you've heard it said by those of old, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, anybody who's angry. So Jesus put killing and angry in the same category because they're both sins of violence. So this is one thing that sin has left us. It's left us violent toward other human beings. But then he went on to talk about contempt. Anybody who's saying, but anyone who says you fool, that is contempt. Now, you don't have to agree with me, and I don't have to agree with you. That's what makes the world go around. But I don't need to speak about you with contempt. I don't need to speak about you in a way that demeans you or devalues you. That's not from God. It's destructive. So we need to learn. Where do we get all this? From Jesus. Contempt, bitterness, sexual violation. Sexual violation. Retaliation, forgiveness, reconciliation, honoring of parents and other authorities. All these have to do with loving others as God loves them. So as Jesus transforms the inner life, we grow in our capacity to treat other people the way God treats them. In fact, and I'll close with this, in fact, the reason we treat other people the way God treats them is we want to. 
all of the bitterness and all of the contempt and all of the anger is just so unappealing. It doesn't draw us. We're not into that. What's inside of us is to honor every other human being. Doesn't mean we agree. Doesn't mean we can't have a discussion on things that we see differently. But it means inside of me, I want to treat you the way God wants to treat you. Let's close in prayer. Once again, rather than closing with a time of questions, I think we should close just being silent for a minute or two. I'm very happy for any questions after we close that anybody wants to talk about. But let's close just by being quiet before the Lord. Holy Spirit, please do not leave us in the low level of insight that we have on our own. Give us your insight, Holy Spirit of God, that we might be healed and whole people. Just wait for a minute. Heavenly Father, we entrust the rest of this day and the rest of this week to you. Be glorified in our lives and in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name.